it's hard to look so far out when it's uh, tricky to figure out what tomorrow is going to be. Hello, Sounds and Silence listeners. I am really excited to share this episode with you today, since today we are interviewing French horn performer and teacher Annie Bosler. Annie is a freelance musician in the Los Angeles area. She teaches at the collegiate level as well as privately with students of all ages. In her freelance career, she's performed with artists such as Wu Tang Clan, Daft Punk, John Williams, Ringo Starr, and Paul McCartney. She's also traveled around the world to lecture about wellness for musicians. And she produced and directed a film called 1M1, Hollywood Horns of the Golden Years, which is a documentary about Hollywood horn players. Beyond her impressive bio, she's also been a huge influence on me as a musician and as a teacher. So thank you for tuning in and let's welcome Annie Bosler. But how are you? How's it going? Um, you were good. Every, everything here is good. We're just um, just kind of same old teaching and practicing and... Um... Yeah, um, our kid is being very funny. He he just tried grapefruit grapefruit juice for the first time today, and he calls it sour juice. So that's that's been great. I have to be honest, I'm grateful for him because you know with everything going on in the world, it's like a he's always you know he doesn't know, so he's just laughing and smiling and talking a lot, which makes it good. So <laughs> how was I guess it's been a while now. It's been a couple months, but what what that you remember was kind of your first reaction to all this? So yeah, so so I guess. So really, um, so, okay, well, I'll, I'll just share this. I was at Cal State Northridge teaching on the day that I, I think LA kind of got announced, you know, we were going to be going into pretty much a lockdown a couple of days later. Um, and I remember coming home that night and just kind of like taking a few minutes and being like, wow, our entire, you know, the whole world's about to shift <laughs> and, and kind of thinking to myself, wow, I'm going to be teaching online basically, you know, indefinitely at this point. And so, um, I just remember thinking in my 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 mind. I mean, I've done quite a bit of of online teaching prior to everything with COVID nineteen. Um, I will say I used to use Skype the most as my platform of choice, and since COVID nineteen, I've used them all. I've done everything from WhatsApp to Skype to Zoom to uh, Google Meet to Google Hangout to <laughs> you know to FaceTime, and so I, I think I've used about every platform. Um, on the market. But um, I think my mind just kind of went to like, okay, I need to to alter some things in my teaching. Like I need to, well, first I went and prepared the room I was going to teach in because, you know, everybody's going to be seeing, seeing the space. And I wanted it to obviously be um, friendly to um, and usable for myself. And I just wanted to make sure that I, I remember downloading a bunch of documents. So I had a lot of um, music. I actually, the first lesson with every single student right after it all went online was I just kind of said, you know, your world's shifting, my world's shifting. Like, how are you doing? Also a big part of it was taking into account what their goals were during this time. So that was really like lesson number one. Um, But outside of that, I think just in, in my own world, I very quickly learned that I shouldn't back lessons up to each other because I, I, I'm used to teaching like six hours straight or even sometimes eight hours straight. And I'll, you know, maybe this isn't a great thing, but I would sometimes eat, eat lunch or dinner while I'm teaching just so I can try to see more students in a day. But now when I'm teaching, I think mentally it's hard to handle that length of time because first of all, you're looking at a screen. Um, second of all, I find myself listening a lot harder because you know, if, if there's static, is it my internet? Is it this, is it the student have sound, you know, air in their sound? Is it, 
you know, what is, what is causing sound disruption? So I find myself listening a lot harder. And also, you know, within the first week, I went from teaching a lot of hours back to back to very quickly shifting to, okay, I'm going to do two or three hours of block teaching, and then I'll put them somewhere else. So I think um, just in the beginning, it was mostly about a schedule. It was mostly about where, what's the space, and then really checking in with the students to see how they're doing. For me personally, it didn't feel like a huge shift because I had done so much online teaching, but I know for a lot of my colleagues, it was a gigantic shift. They'd never even listen to a student play online ever. So uh, I know it was a big shift and I, I listened to a lot of really famous teachers kind of um, share some of their insights and how upset they were with having to do all their music teaching online. I, I think it's interesting that you you kind of talked to the students to work out their goals. What did you notice like had changed about their goals? Yeah, so it was, you know, it was kind of, I mean, obviously a lot of it was kind of overnight. Um, I think the students, so it was interesting because I think the entire teaching community, or at least the college community, so so my life consists of three parts, right? So I, I do um, high school teaching, um, I do uh, college teaching, and then I also teach quite a, a large number of adult amateurs. I would probably put a fourth category in there where I do quite a number of embouchure work or injury work. So for me, when we first went online and their goals, it was interesting because the high school students were actually about a week and a half behind colleges because the high schools took about a week and a half to say, okay, now we're all going online as well. Basically, French Horn became one of their only things to fill their time outside of being online with in online school. And so, you know, they, they couldn't go do their sports anymore. They couldn't go to even marching band or orchestra rehearsal. They couldn't go to a winter drumline rehearsal or, or orchestra. And so, um, you know, they didn't have all this extracurricular stuff all of a sudden, and that they didn't have the ability to just hang out with their friends. So French horn became a really big part of all of their lives. And so more than I would say it almost ever has, it went from just being like, oh, I can practice like maybe 20 minutes a day to yeah, Annie, I could practice three hours a day if you want, you know? So, um, so for some of them, it was great because we, we, you know, if, if their goal was to major in music or to do something in music, then, then this has become a real hibernation period for a lot of the students. Like they're going to practice a lot, especially my college students. That's what we really talked a lot about. And then for, for the other high school students that, that, you know, might not want to do music as a career, it really became an outlet of like, this is the one thing I have to get away from my family during this time. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So I think their goals, I mean, everybody's were varied depending on their situation, but it was a pretty intense conversation to start. And a, and a lot of students, I became the only human that they talked to, you know, adult minus their parents one-on-one. And so too, that's been interesting because I would say some students have opened up a little bit more than they normally would just telling me about, you know, they'll just, they'll just talk a little bit more because I don't, you know, they're talking to friends, but usually it's over text these days or chat, you know? And so it's, um, we have this hour at least a designated time a week. And so I think that's been useful for them as well. So it served a lot of uh, purposes, I think emotional um, and, you know, extracurricular for the students and a way to kind of, kind of do something that's not parents or their house or, you know, a little bit outside of that bubble, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've heard that from so many teachers I've talked to that everything has shifted now where they're, they're more kind of this caregiving role for the students instead of just their teacher, which I think is good. I think, I think a lot of the students need it. I guess this is really unique for you in the sense that you have had experience, but what was challenging about shifting over even though you had experience? Um, I think shifting over, like what, okay, so what would be the most challenging of shifting over to teaching basically full-time online? I think it's the number of hours in front of the computer. 
I've always, I mean, I'll be honest, I've, I've experienced more kind of carpal tunnel-y feelings than I ever have. Um, I've had to look at like how ergonomic is my workstation. <laughs> I've also, you know, I've, I've, I don't know if you know Flux. It's like a, an app you can add to your computer or, you know, your blue, blue light. So I've changed that, made sure that that's always low. I keep my light low on my computer all the time. And so I think that's been a big adjustment. I would say the biggest one though is, so I, I do a lot of work with students, um, like embouchure work. So for instance, a lot of teachers will just say, hey, call Annie, spend a few months with her, and then you know I'll turn them back over to their old teacher. And so when we do embouchure work, we have to build it from the ground up. And so usually when you go through that with a student, it's a multi-month long process. You have to pull things apart. You have to put things back together. And it's it's an emotional thing because they've played their instrument this long. And um, and it's very, I mean, I'm looking for really small, small things, very difficult to see on a camera, you know, and also very difficult to not be in the same room to hear things um, or to watch, to be able to watch their entire body and walk around their entire body. So I think the biggest adjustment I had to make was when we, when we entered COVID, I was working with students um, from all over Southern California that I was seeing and having to see now online. It was just a, an adjustment because just the week before they had been in the room and I was able to, to see them and hear them and work with them up close. And now I was having to do it all online. I've done a, done a couple online before, but never this many and never, um, you know, a lot of them from really from, from, from square one, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, I assume you can't see as much. Do you have any issues too with this? student side of technology? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great question. So from a student side, um, so I, I will say this, my husband and I upgraded, we had pretty fast internet, but we actually went and got a business line into our house, a business internet line uh, because it's much faster. And so we have that going on. So, so now basically our, our internet's so fast and you can obviously look at it and tell how fast it is like, and it, and so it's, it's going so fast that I know for a fact that if we have issues, it's usually not from my side, which is good to know. But I will say that from the student side, if we are having issues, it's hard for me yet. Like the picture's obviously sometimes grainy, sometimes there's lag, especially if you're trying to work with a rhythm. Um, I mean, I will say having done Skype probably, I don't even know, like five, six, seven, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years, as many years I've been teaching with Skype, you know, everything is so much better now than it used to be. I know at some schools, they're having some issues with with access. I haven't heard of it as much for university students than for like K through 12 students, but I don't know if you've. Yeah. I have a few students who, I mean, you know, not everybody has all the different platforms. So even when I first started teaching, I wrote like within the first couple of days of us being home, I wrote a message to all the parents, you know, listen, I'm going to be going online now. And I just tell the parents to please pick what was best for your household. And so, so any students I have, if I have a really hard time, with bandwidth usually we go to zoom oftentimes we'll go to whatsapp as well those two seem to work pretty well with low bandwidth but um most everything else if, if they have a hard time with bandwidth then we will try to stay with those platforms or if, if not switch to other stuff but yeah i've definitely had trouble with access but now i think everybody has it worked out but it, in the beginning for the first few weeks there was there was definitely an issue i'm glad that i don't see it as often with kind of the older students and i realize you teach privately so if they can afford to take private lessons, they can probably afford to have yeah. internet. And so I, so I grew up in South Carolina in a, in an area that was pretty low income. We, so all, a lot of my friends are, have become public school teachers back in that, not necessarily in that exact town, but in that area. And I, I've been on a group chat with them and they, that's one of the biggest issues that they're running into in the state of South Carolina is just access. 
And so it's, it's a huge, huge issue. And I just saw recently, and I hope, I hope this is not true, but I saw Maryland just cut all their performing arts for 2020, 2021. There's a district out here in Massachusetts that's cut all PE, all arts, all music. Wow. Yeah, I just, I mean, I know it's something that's tricky to do, but I, I do know that I have seen, and I have a lot of amazing friends that are band directors. I've seen a lot of really intelligent things that people are, or sorry, real innovative is the word I'm looking for really innovative things that people are putting out, but I, you know, it's just, I hope that that doesn't happen where a lot of the arts in the PE, PE classes get cut because that could be really sad. I wonder, is there anything that's happened that you think has affected your teaching in like a positive way that has come from this? Um, no, I definitely do think it's more positive. I, I'll be honest. I, so I've been through over the years, I've been through all these different ways to keep track of students' material. So <laughs> in the very, very, very beginning, I used to keep this like notebook and in every square I would write that week's lesson and what I did with the student. And then over, over the years, I've morphed into uh, them keeping a notebook and them writing down their lesson. And then every week I actually look at their notebook. Now that um, they're not in person with me, I, I just, I actually just keep like a running note on, on all of them. And so I just have one huge list and I just, you know, search their name and we jump right in there. And that has been really interesting because it, I'm just like, okay, do you bring this, 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 and this? Yep. Great. I, you know, over the years I've done a million different options and quite frankly, I haven't found one that I love, but I actually really like that. I've never had it digitally. And, and if I have to email them something, you know, I just copy paste what their assignment is in an email done, you know, it's there. And, and I'll, I'll say a few other things. We're actually right now in the middle of digitizing our entire library. Uh, Dylan, my husband and I are very excited to, to have all of that done because he's been using an iPad when he teaches. And so he will teach on zoom and you can easily share your iPad to zoom. And then what happens is he can use, he has like a whiteboard option and he can just draw up pictures or he has PDFs like of, of the lungs or anatomy. So I'm actually going to get an iPad probably pretty soon as well. And that way I can draw and use, you know, kind of have two platforms that I'm working off of. But I watched him teach a masterclass a couple of weeks ago and was pretty blown away by just, he would pull up a picture of the lungs and be like, here's this and here's this. And then he would draw up an exercise and it was kind of fun to watch somebody else teach using some new tools that I wasn't using. It's been wild to, I've watched a lot of online interviews, I guess, like Zoom interviews basically throughout, you know, throughout this last couple of months. And it's been really fascinating to me to watch some of the teachers who I would consider like legendary teachers in our field come online and talk about their experiences teaching. And most of them, this is the wild thing, have, would never have said to you, I teach on, you know, online prior to COVID-19. And they've had to shift over to that platform because, because their, their school's there and they have to see their students. And so it's been really fascinating to hear that experience. And honestly, I think that's great for students, especially ones that want to major in music or want to get a lesson with somebody, you know, before they would have had to fly to the city, meet the teacher, pay for the lesson, probably get a hotel, you know, fly home, have pay for all the food. And you're looking like a grand or $1,500 just to get a lesson with this human. And now you could Skype in and, or zoom in and, and have a lesson with the person for the same rate they would have charged if you'd flown to New York city. So I, you know, I, I think it's, um, it kind of pushed a whole generation of people or several generations of people into, you know, technology that might not have done it before. And so from that perspective, I think it's really good, but I, I still think, I mean, I, I know I can do better. Even just watching my husband give these masterclasses, I was like, oh, I could totally up my game. I, I will say, I feel like I've been a little bit more in survival mode 
these last few months, I mean, I've, I've gotten myself organized and I've been there and teaching um, survival mode in terms of my technology usage. I've kind of just done what I know. And I think my next few months will be pushing the limits like, you know, okay, what could I, what, what apps could I integrate into my online teaching and definitely getting an iPad and, and putting some material on there that the students could look, look and see, and I could inter interactively use while I teach. It is really interesting to see how successful some people are at this, you know, some people are just, it doesn't matter. And, you know, whereas I think some other people are really, really struggling, but it is kind of interesting because I, I actually had a class where my professor was like, we, were, we went online. He's like, I think I like this better. I think I want to do this. Well, no. that's, that's what I was getting. I mean, I don't want to sound nuts. I mean, I definitely want to teach again in person. There's no question. Like there's no question. I mean, for, for an instrument, I don't think you can always teach online hundred percent. My rule before honest, before all of this, unless they lived across the world, my rule before COVID-19 was I will teach you online, except for I need to see you in person at least once a month, just because of sound and hearing, you know? And so, but now I have, I feel like I, we've gotten a lot done with the students. And I'll, I, I will say this, this has been a positive and maybe it's just because of COVID-19, everybody's home right now and nobody's traveling, but I have consistently seen my students every single week. Like I had to finally take a week off because I, I was just like, I, I can't continue teaching, you know, this many hours and not have a break yet. <laughs> and so just because of the online factor of just the screen, you know, so I, I think that has also been a positive factor. So there are a lot of students who I might truly have only seen like twice a month because their schedules are so busy and they, they wouldn't be able to reschedule. So it's like, you know, there's these kind of, uh, you know, catch 22s where public education of, I mean, you know, performing arts, public education might be suffering right now, but I think individual lessons could actually be, you know, peaking. Um, so I think there are, I mean, there definitely are positives. Do you think it's been easier or harder to kind of balance work with personal life right now? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I will say I teach right now. Um, I think at the height of all of this with all the colleges in school and all the private lessons, I think I was averaging about 28 lessons a week. Um, so 20, about 28 hours of teaching, except for there, some of those are, are um, like I said before, injury slash embouchure work. And those students, I actually saw more than one time a week, sometimes three, sometimes four times a week, especially when you're in the beginning of those kind of changes. I will often see them for like 30 minutes, but maybe three or four times a week. And so for those students, it's been amazing because they also can we have the time, I have the time and they have the time and they don't have to drive to my house. And one student was driving almost two hours one way to see me. And so for me to be like, I need you here in three days, they, you know, before they would be like, uh, no. And now it's just like I hop online and I see them and it's been very quick. Um, so I, I actually have to say, I think, I think I would do more like if people needed help with their, their, with, with um, kind of like structural help, I think I can do a lot more of that online that I didn't realize. Not to say it would be all in line, but but I could. I think now after doing, doing so many, I think I could technically do that. Sorry, I can't remember what your original question was. <laughs> what, oh, I, what just, was I was curious. Um, you're good about how how you're balancing it with. Oh, balancing. Sorry, that's yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, so what I was going to say is I'm so so basically yeah because I'm teaching so many hours in the beginning it was very tricky because of early COVID-19, we didn't, you really couldn't even ask anybody to come help you out. So, so I have a 15, well, sorry, at the beginning of COVID-19, I had a 15 month old. So um, he was, you know, a little over a year old. And my husband was also teaching online, but most of his career is a studio musician. And so he, in the beginning, 
there was nothing going on for the studio world. And so he was kind of like stay at home dad. And meanwhile, I was, you know, doing a whole ton of teaching in our garage and we, we couldn't have help because you just, you didn't bring in anybody from the outside. And then um, his mom uh, quarantined quite uh, for quite some time. And then she's come over and helped us. So I, I would say the, uh, not, not that much, but just, a, you know, some hours a week and which has been amazing and very, we're very, very grateful for that. So I, I think balancing the work life uh, especially with such a young kiddo has definitely been tricky during this because, you know, you basically have two working parents at home and you, you really couldn't have help. So we were, you know, it was basically like I would go work and he would be with the kiddo and then he would go work and I would be the kiddo. And so we actually weren't seeing that much other, of each other because we were always either working or with our kiddo. And so it was pretty hilarious the first few weeks, but I, I think the longer this went on and then obviously when we, uh, his mom helped us a bit, we found a better balance. And so, but I, I mean, with all that being said, like I wouldn't ask for anything different right now because we're with our kiddo and he's 15 months old and he's hilarious. And you know, it's, it's just, it's been amazing because you know, you get to, even if you teach for an hour, you walk in and see him or even for five minutes and it's better than being gone for eight hours at a time. And I would say the work-life balance for both of us is that, that he, he is loving us being home and it's been amazing from that perspective. I don't know if I wanted anything to change. <laughs> So yeah, that's good to hear. And it's good to hear he's getting so much attention too. I'm sure he loves it. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear that he's been so positive for you. It must really help, you know, to, to have someone, this little kid who has no idea and just laughs at. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, my heart has gone out to anybody that is a, a single parent right now and having to work from home. I'm not quite sure how that all goes down, especially if they had a, a little, little kiddo. My heart goes out to any anyone like that, or, or quite frankly, I'm I'm also grateful that our kiddo has been very little, just because of the homeschooling factor, or him even having to sit online for so many hours. So you know, there's there's all these dynamics, and that you know you can be grateful for. But I'm 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 definitely grateful for the time. I'm, I I've cherished and still trying to cherish every second. You know, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. The question becomes a long term question. Like we think about even our kiddo. Like he's he's a year and a half. I, I can't remember all the things that are going on in his brain right now, like all the different uh, learning processes that are heightened at this age. And like my husband, actually, he reads to him literally two hours a day. That's his thing. They read literally for two hours a day. And I've seen his word count go from um, like literally nothing when we started COVID-19. He has, oh, we've counted now over 250, 300 words, which um, is pretty, pretty high for someone his age. And I kind of keep asking myself the question, like, what if we hadn't had this time? where would his word count be? Does that make sense? And so it's, it's like a, a flip effect on the arts. So say they take out, they take out funding for a year. So somebody doesn't have band for a year. Uh, you know, therefore they most likely want to enroll in band the next year <laughs> or the next year or the next year. So they, they kind of wipe out. So how many years, this is a question I would present is how many years would it take the arts to recover from that long-term? I don't know. That's a very wild question to say. So it's like, and, a, and kind of a scary one if you think about it. And that's why I feel like for me, the one thing I can do right now is just keep offering the private lessons to the students because even if they don't have band for the year or they don't have arts for the year, I mean, we can do a lot of things together and hopefully that keeps their interest and their love for music up. And, and I, you know, I just hope that other people that have an interest in music or, or any of the arts what, you know, even like ballet, like how, how does, or opera, like those are the wildest to me. Like it's like, you know, chamber music can still technically exist, but 
how do all these other things exist still? And so I, I don't know the answer to it, but it's definitely a question that I think about sadly more often than I'd like to admit. Yeah, that's a really great point. I, I think I like forgot to think about that, like how, how long it's going to take to recover. It's, a, it's also a similar question within orchestras, you know, or, or opera or any of the perform, performing arts venues is it's like, you know, you lose a year of, of that. You lose a year of donors. You lose a year of interest. You lose a year of being in front of people, you know, so I, I'm not sure where the gap will come in the generations, but I would say if the performing arts aren't protective of that possible gap, meaning like very aware of that possibility happening it could affect things more than any of us want, you know? <laughs> and also who knows how long this, this situation that we're in right now will go on, meaning uh, the country not being at quote unquote phase four, you know, which is, is opening of large arenas, large venues, large places where um, people used to go and watch, you know, large variety of, of performing arts events. Yeah. And that's, I think that also goes out to, there's so many people right now who are, financially hurting, we've kind of have to shift to this kind of self-preservation mode that I wonder if some of that stuff's going to get forgotten for a lot of people. And even when they do come back. Well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of things that, you know, that come up, I mean, just come up with all of it. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost so far out that it's hard. It, it, I mean, this is kind of what I've seen. Like I've tried to take a step back a couple of days and just be like, okay, what, what is, you know, I mean, people have experienced death very close to them. You know, people have experienced, you know, never knowing somebody that has had COVID-19. It's, I mean, it's been such a wide variety of stuff. Some people think it, you know, doesn't exist. It's like, you know, there's, there's this whole wide variety of things and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to put yourself in everybody's shoes, but I will say, I think teaching and seeing so many students a week, especially on a one-on-one situation where they can talk and, you know, you hear about a family member that's had it, or you hear about somebody that they know that's died. And it's like, it kind of puts things into very close perspective. I, I also, I, I recently did an, uh, an, an kind of a, uh, an online interview that was presented pretty publicly. And so from that, I got a bunch of um, more students and they're more international. So I, I have a student I see now in Germany and I have a student now I see in New York city. So it's more, it's even more global. So I will say in some ways that is another thing that's been affected in my life by COVID-19, I would say in a positive way, but um, I have gotten some more students kind of internationally. Uh, and I think obviously teaching on, on, on zoom platforms and things like that have opened up the idea, not just for me, but for individuals who have like, like students who have never thought, Oh, I could actually take consistent lessons with somebody. And most of it's an older population, but it's still pretty cool. And so, but because of that, you know, you start to encounter all these different scenarios of people. It's, I think what you just said, which is self-preservation, I think is a very important thing to think about because at some point I feel that every human has gone into that mode. I, I feel like I actually went into it like the night I realized it was going down. I, I remember coming out into this room and I sat in the corner and I was just like, whoa, <laughs> like what is happening right now? You know? And, and, you know, you read some parts of history where similar situations have happened. And it's like, I remember reading one thing where it was like for years and years, the theaters were all dark and you're just like, wow, that could actually happen. You know? So like, it's just kind of wild to, you know, you're in 2020 and it's like, this could be happening. So I think just from a self-preservation mode, I think people do go into that. And I think the students have, and that's what I've been trying. I think the most kind of trying to relate to with the students is like, how are they and how close are they to that? And by self-preservation, I mean, you just kind of go into your own shell and you, 
you just kind of stop thinking about like the larger picture. Does that make sense? And I, and that's been kind of interesting to watch with different, um, different people. So um, I just try personally as a teacher, I'm trying to be uh, open to whatever they're feeling at that time. And uh, that can obviously change from lesson to lesson and, and people can go through self-preservation and come out of it and go back into it. So, you know, I think, I think it's just being aware of that. Thanks again for tuning in and for listening to our show. If you'd like to send me a message or an email, please send it to soundsinsilencepodcast at gmail.com or message me on our Instagram at soundsinsilencepodcast. Next week, we'll be talking to another public school teacher. So thanks again for your continued support, and I hope you tune in next week. Thank you.